0: This is The Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, so how do I do this again? What is, uh, what is this thing for? Does this work? Is this thing on? Do I even do this show anymore? Does Elliot even do this show anymore? I think the answer lately is barely. Thanks to Sat Shaw. Thanks to Matt Marchese for filling in. I don't know who stepped in for Elliot, who I believe was notorious for the last-minute text to Maddie, oh, can't do it, about to get on a plane. And as we speak right now, Elliot's on a plane making his way back from Dallas. I'm back. Uh, came back last night. Um, I got a lot to talk, to, talk about with, uh, with the Dallas Stars. We got a lot to talk about with a lot of teams around the NHL, both on and off the ice. I want to get into the uh, Chicago Blackhawks Pride jersey um, discussion and that situation where I get the feeling that like, something's going on there that I'm missing, and I think a lot of people are feeling that way. Spoke to a couple of people this morning who are kind of like, we're not, we don't feel like we're getting the clear picture on this decision for the Blackhawks not to wear the pride jerseys and warm up. It sounds like there's more to this story. And if you thought that the San Jose Sharks may have provided the template for how to pull off a night like this when one or some of your players don't want to wear the jersey, there it is. Feel like we're not getting the full screen on this one. We can get into that a little bit later on. Um, Greg Machinsky is going to come up here in a couple of moments. Uh, as I understand it on this program, it is traditional for Greg to join me on, uh, or join this program rather, on Wednesdays. Uh, this week bumped to Thursday, so Greg stops by here in about an hour. Ken Weeb from Sports. Then we'll talk about the Winnipeg Jets uh, opening up the California swing tonight against the Ducks. Uh, Brian Boyle who we can now call former NHLer. I always liked Brian Boyle. Um, and even if you didn't like the player, you had to really like the story of how he made it to the NHL and how he stayed in the NHL. Brian Boyle now works for the NHL Network. Uh, he makes his debut tonight with Jamison Coyle and Mike Rupp. Uh, so we'll talk to him coming up at the bottom of the hour. In the meantime, to go over... Um, What's well, been a pretty action-packed 24 hours, and I, I do want to park some time about Dallas, and they'll play the Penguins, and we're going to talk about the Penguins. Um, let's bring aboard Matt Marchese, who is the quasi-host of this property now, as I understand it. Hello, Matty.
1: Hello, Jeff. Did you get a lot of sleep last night?
0: Uh, I got. I you know I I don't sleep very well when I'm on the road, so I didn't get a lot of sleep while I was in Dallas. Um, but I was able to sleep on the plane a little bit. Um, but then, when my pet hit hit the pillow last night around one o'clock, I was I was good and gone. But you know what I did while I was uh, on my way back from Dallas? I read. If you're watching on 360, you can see it. The science of hockey, which is a real good book by our buddy Kevin Snow, um, the math, technology, and data behind the sport. And it it's funny, Matty, because it almost reads like this radio show in a couple of different ways. Like a lot of our guests are quoted and featured uh, in this one. There's a big section on goaltending. So there's a lot with Kevin Woodley uh, in this book. It's it's a fascinating sort of look at all the different areas of the game itself from um, discussions about the puck to the stick to analytics to goaltending to things like face-offs to things like, the draft it's all the sort of science and really what it is is it's the conversation around all of these elements in the game that kevin snow who i first met when he's uh director of communications for the buffalo sabers he sort of called this all into one spot and made it really simple for a dope like me to understand and read through and it came in at under 200 pages so that was my flight back from dallas yesterday
1: that sounds exactly like something that you would do You talked about good book. It's it's a really good book, and honestly, what there's not much better things to do when you're on an airplane, so why not read a book?
0: Yeah, that's uh, well, you can watch movies or you can catch up on your sleep, but uh, that's what that's what I chose to do. Let me um, let let me share a couple of things from Dallas here. So, uh, me and Elliot Nommel were there for three days. Elliot boogie to do the telethon on the first day, uh, no, the second day that we got there, and then came back yesterday. He did an interview with Mason Marchment. Um, Elliot also went, (laughs) oh, man, I don't know that I've ever seen Elliot this nervous before. Elliot went golfing with Joe Pavelski. Now, if you know anything about Joe Pavelski, he's one of these guys that you love because he's a great guy. But two, you hate because he's good at everything. And he is, like, as much as he's a future Hall of Fame hockey player, he's an outstanding golfer. Like, if you talk to all the guys, who's the best golfer on the team? Without a doubt, Joe Pavelski. Jake Ottinger's probably second, but Pavelski is next level. So we get to the course, and just watching Pavelski uh, hit some balls, and I'm like, "He, he looks like a pro. Like everything is just butter. Like the swing is just gorgeous, and so we pull up, and I'm, Elliot's in the back seat, and I'm like, uh, "Are you ready for this?" He's like, "Oh my god, this is going to be so embarrassing." So I don't know how it's going to turn out. I'm not sure how they shot it, but Elliot had a very humbling afternoon playing golf with Joe Pavelski, <laughs> who, you know, he actually t- talking to some of the guys too. He might be the best golfer in the NHL. I feel like I've heard that. He's just that guy. Yeah, he's, he's elite. And by the way, one of the great things about going to uh, Dallas Stars practice, if you haven't before, uh, if you ever get a chance to go to, to, to morning skate, um, you know we talk a lot about how Pavelski's great at tipping pucks.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You really need to watch Because Pavel- he does it like every practice. And sure enough, there it was. Was it two days ago? Went to the morning skate. And for like a good 15 minutes before practice began, there he was, just solid tipping pucks. Tip, tip, tipped, and I asked Pete DeBoer about it. I think it was Pete DeBoer. I, yeah, it was Pete DeBoer, and he said like, "Yeah, Brent Burns would fire like 300 pucks of practice, and he just tip, 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 like to this day, 38 year old Joe Pavelski, still 15 minutes every day, just tipping pucks."
1: Well, and you know it the other thing, thing is that that was also. Uh, It was evidenced by the fact that in the NHLPA players poll yesterday that uh, among players, of all players, forwards and defensemen, the question was, who impacts the game the most in front of the net? Joe Pavelski was first and Chris Kreider was second.
0: 100%. Who Who is second? Chris Kreider? Yeah, Chris Kreider. Yeah, that makes some sense. That big body in front there—he scores a lot of two-foot goals. Uh, big, strong guy. But yeah, Pavelski in front of the net is—I uh, don't want to say automatic when the shot comes in from the point, but man, he gets his stick on everything. His hand-eye is um, is certainly elite. Um, so a couple of things from the Dal- from the Dallas trip. So went to the dallas seattle game. Uh, I'm not sure if you watched that one on on uh, on television, Matty, but there was. There's a couple of funny moments in it. There was a scene which I'm guessing they might have been in commercial break for. Um, Third period, Dallas is making their comeback. So before Jamie Ben tied it up, uh, Max Domi in the offensive zone gets his stick slashed. And normally it's an automatic. When you get your stick slashed, specifically when you're in the offensive zone pursuing the puck, generally that's an automatic slashing minor, right? No call. So Domi's hot, goes back to the bench to grab a stick. There's a whistle. And so his stick is still laying on the ice, and Domi's already got a stick from the bench. So he just ignores it. The referee picks it up and tries to give it to Domi, and Domi turns his back on him. And then I think the referee <laughs> threatened to sit him down, like, to, to give him a minor. Like, there was, like, a legit, like, heated argument on the ice. Domi wasn't going to take the stick. He said, essentially, that's not my job to take the stick back to the bench. That's your job. You can imagine how well that went over with the official. Sheepishly, he finally ended up taking the stick when he was probably threatened with a minor and that would have killed the comeback and took it back. But I don't think that I've ever seen that before. Have you ever seen a referee pick up a stick, hand it to a player to have the player refuse to take it?
1: No chance. Although I do appreciate that Max Dominguez like, hold on a second. You didn't call a penalty and now you want me to take the stick that was slashed out of my hands back to the bench? <laughs> I don't think so. That's not how this the bench. one's going to work. <laughs> no, yeah. I've never seen that. You know, I've always...
0: It was uh, it, it was a weird one. And I sat down with Max yesterday, and, and uh, we talked about it. One of the interviews that we did was with Domi. And um, he was sort of surprised that we saw that. So I, I guess they probably were in commercial break at that point. Um, but I've kind of always felt that from a personality point of view, like the NHL is better at this now than they've ever been, both at the league side and certainly on the team side, although there are some teams that still... You know what's the old saying in the dojo? The protruding nail gets hammered down. There's still a lot of teams that you know don't want the personality to show on any of their players, uh, and want them all to be you know pink balloons and helmets and skates and moving around and scoring goals and putting their head down when they do so. I've always felt that the NHL, from a marketing point of view, was trying to find the most marketable players that still no matter what age they are still have a genuine love and appreciation and can really deliver and have an infectious personality about the game um i think that there's there's a couple that spring to mind one is matthew barzell of the islanders and it's obvious and we all know why that's uh that personality never gets a spotlight or a shine um but the other is max domi who has one of the most infectious personalities of anybody in the game, even though now it's not as if he's you know, a fresh-faced kid that's playing with the Coyotes and just got drafted and I'm just happy to be in the NHL. Like All of a sudden, Maddie, like Max Domi's a veteran. Like There's just some moments where you kind of catch yourself and you go, whoa, because I can remember watching Max Domi going back to when he played in the GTHL with the Don Mills Flyers, and here he is, I'm sitting down with him yesterday, and he's 28 years old but he still has the same enthusiasm he did when he was playing with Don Mills or the London Knights or drafted by the Coyotes. It's, it's, it really is amazing at how how much of a, you know, optimistic and fun-loving. And he came in on his day off to do it as well. And, you know, how a lot of guys will grumble doing anything on, anything on their day off, but not so much Domi. Just an impressive guy, like a really, really good player, uh, a blend of skill and snarl, and like a really interesting um guy to talk to off the ice like to me you know joe Calvillo is the uh, the comms director there when you get a guy like that in your lineup all of a sudden it's like oh he just becomes a dream for you because your job just gets easier because he'll say yes to a lot of things and he'll make your organization look good you have a thought on max Domi?
1: yeah i've never so i've had max Domi on a few times and i don't think i've ever had i've never had a bad interview with Max Domi, that's the one thing. And there are some guys that you know they're players, and some of them are robotic. Here, here's the thing: when sure. we look at when we look at his father, uh, his father Ty was never shy around the microphone. He had a personality, and and that's carried over yep. to Max. It, less so than his dad because he's a little bit more. I don't want to say reserved, but he's not quite as I don't want to maybe bombastic as his dad, but he's very good and he's very thoughtful. It, there, there's also something to be said, and, and I don't, maybe it's just Max or, or, you know, as we go down the list, but there's something to be said about guys that grew up in NHL dressing rooms, and Max was one of those guys that did. You talk about somebody yeah. that always said yes to doing interviews with someone who his father was really close with, and that was Matt Sundin, who was also Max's favorite player growing up, and they're really close. He may even be his godfather. I'm not sure. I'm not 100% sure about that. But he may even be his godfather. So he looked up to Matt Sundin. Matt Sundin never said no to interviews. Matt Sundin was always in front of the cameras. He was always there, good or bad. So I think there's something to be said about how you grew up, and and especially for a guy like Max, how you grew up in an NHL dressing
0: room. You know what's weird? It's weird not watching him wear either 16, which he wore for Bobby Clark, or 13, which he wore for Matt Sundin. It's weird watching him in Dallas and, like, 18? What? <laughs> like I don't, I'm not. It's just like visually jarring for some reason. Yeah. You just get married to the numbers that players have, and, and seeing Max not wearing 16 or not wearing 13 um, is a little bit, uh, a little bit jarring. Had an interesting interview with, um, with Jake Ottinger, and we'll put it out on the podcast at, uh, at some point. Uh, I would, I, th- I think we're putting this one out soon. And you know, one of the things that he talked about was how. And he's like, Yeah, I was I was pissed off. I was I was angry and I told the team that I was pissed off about it. When the Dallas Stars signed Braden Holtby, he was super pissed. He was like, Yeah, I was real angry. I didn't like it. I was mad at the organization. I thought it was my time. I was gonna start in the NHL. Instead, he started the season as as you can recall last year playing in the American League. Now he jumped over all the hurdles and got there and became the star, and we all know about the you know uh, Game 7 64 save performance last year against the Calgary Flames, but he admitted. He was like, man, I was hot about it. I was real pissed off when they signed Brayden Holpe. When do you ever, Maddie, hear a goaltender say, I was pissed off that they brought another goaltender in? Because all we hear from goalies is how they all love each other and respect each other. And it's, oh, this is all like Swayman and Elmark and it's hugs and feeding each other chicken wings in the dressing room. And here's Ottinger saying like, no, man, I was themed about that one. Bad move by them.
1: You never hear that because that's, you know, that's kind of the way hockey is. We're all great teammates and we all love each other and all kumbaya. But here's the one thing that (laughs) I will say. and And I wonder if Jake Ottinger has ever had this thought in his head. I wonder, and and I'm not saying that he's not a driven guy because clearly he's a driven guy, but I wonder how much more it ramped things up for him to say, I should be the guy, you're going to start me in the AHL, I'm going to show you that I'm going to be the guy. And he ended up being that guy. So I wonder if he's ever even had that thought where he said, you know, maybe this was the best thing for my career.
0: You know who talked about that a lot and has always talked about that and, and the value of that and not being handed anything is Kelly Rudy. Kelly, I, you know, Next time you get a chance to talk to Kelly, hearing him talk about his early days with the Islanders is fascinating. And the conversations with either, you know, Roley Melanson or, or Billy Smith or any of the goaltenders that were there, really, really interesting about how, you know, no one's giving up their spot. No one is. And you're fighting for spots and you're competing with other guys for spots and nothing is being handed to you. And, you know, maybe I'm sure Kelly coming out of Medicine Hat, playing with the Tigers, thought, you know, I'm going to walk into the New York Islanders, this, you know, outstanding, you know, dynastic team, and then realize, like, no one's handing me a position here. I'm going to Indianapolis. That's what's going to happen, and that and that's where I'm going to start. Yeah, uh, next time you talk to Kelly, ask him about the early Islanders days. It's really interesting. And, and he'll tell you, too, like, it was good. Like, I think of, uh, unless you're, you know... Kale McCarr or Connor McDavid or whomever, you know, elite-level player. I really think that just about every single player should spend some time at the American Hockey League level and specifically goaltenders. Specifically goal Goalies and defensemen specifically should spend time in the American I think everybody should because it's kind of the – like the American League has always been the finishing school for hockey players. That's where, you you know, you, you sort of graduate from hockey U. And get into the NHL, you learn to play the defensive side of the puck, the more rounded game, you learn how to be a professional, all of that, so you don't have to learn on the fly when you're in the National Hockey League, the the, the ultimate league that everybody aspires to. And ultimately, even though Ottinger might not have liked it, you can probably bet that in the back of his mind he knows, ultimately it was better for me because I felt that I earned something instead of just got handed something. You know, there used to be that, oh man, in the old Oilers dressing room, I'm not sure if it still uh, exists today, but in the old rink, there used to be a uh, a sign on the wall that said "Earned, not given," and everybody there would make all the you know the 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 snickering remarks about guys getting selected first overall and getting huge contracts and you know no bridge deals and right away to the big money. It's like, where's the earned, not given part coming in for these guys? But for a player like Jake Ottinger, like once you've had that bump down to the American Hockey League level, and then you get up. You hold your job a little more sacred, don't you? I would imagine that's the way that Ottinger probably feels about it. He didn't get handed that position. Oh, I'm a first-round draft pick from 2017. I'm a star at BU. Look at me go. No, man. This is a guy that went to the American Hockey League and had to, had to fight for his gig.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree with, with that sentiment that guys should probably spend time, unless you're like elite, 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 elite which we know, and there are a few guys that are out there, but there's also something, you yeah. know, when you make that jump from whether it be uh, major junior or college to the NHL, like it, you go from, there's other things going on. Like if you're, if you're an 18 year old playing in the OHL, like I know that it's school's not super important, but it's still important, but it's still part of your daily routine. When you're in college school is still part mm-hmm. of your daily routine. When you go to the NHL, this is the job. And there is an adjustment period here, which is why I think that going to the AHL is so important because you learn to be a pro like when you're eighteen years old or even nineteen years old, going to the NHL like there's massive adjustments here you don't have you don't have a lot of things done for you that you would in those scenarios in a sense, you are on your own a little bit more, and so I think that it's important for them to learn how to be a pro, not at the highest level because you you learn. You're watching older guys that have been there and have seen what it's like to be, you know, maybe up with the big club or they've been in the minors for a long time. So you get to learn a little bit. But I think the the day to day aspects of being a pro is something that, you know, I've, I obviously never did it, but we've seen there's been countless players that have gone right to the NHL and they've really struggled with that adjustment. So I think if you go to the AHL and you can really learn what the day-to-day life of being a pro is, is it better in the NHL? Sure. Yeah. The travel's a lot better. The hotels are nicer. The food's better. But you learn on a day-to-day basis. And you also learn, I don't want to go back there. So like you said with Ottinger, you you, take your spot for gra- yeah. you don't take your spot for granted when you get to the show.
0: Um, we just mentioned Joe Pavelski a second ago. Do you know who they, uh, and this is very deliberate from Pete DeBoer and assistant coach Steve spot. Do you know who's living with Joe Pavelski and his wife this year?
1: I think it's Wyatt. Johnson. You can probably figure
0: it? it out. Wyatt Johnson. Life Smart. lessons. If you're going to like join the night, like, like if, if you're, if you're Wyatt Johnson's parents, like how happy does that make you that you that your kid is living with, um, uh, with Joe Pavelski. Kind of like Patrick, but you mentioned Kelly Rudy a second ago. Kind of like Patrick Marlowe in his first year, uh, with San Jose rooms with uh, with the with the with the Rudy family. Tell me that's not perfect.
1: Yeah, it's and count and that's and but that's smart organizational decisions. You've got a kid coming in; he's far away from home. It absolutely makes sense to do that. And I'm sure there are plenty of stories like that. Um, but it's true. Like yeah. you want you want your well, we talked to Rich Peverly about you know. Bringing these young guys up and having them learn from, you know, the veterans like you know Jamie Ben, like Joe Pavelski, can go on down the list. And it's important to have those guys in your lineup and and have your young guys learn from them because, listen, Joe Pavelski was in yeah. that position at one point in his life too, and look at where it's got him. Look at this career that he has. And that's why, that's why a guy like Joel Pavelski is probably going to have a job in the game if he wants to. Or if he wants to take up golf, it sounds like he'd have a pretty good career in that, too.
0: Uh, he, he's going to golf. Um, I just wish they would do that in radio because le- I love the idea of you living with Bob McCowan when you first broke <laughs> in the industry.
1: <laughs> oh, I did enough work there. I don't think I needed to do anything at his house, too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, so that's uh, and all these interviews are going to come out. They're going to sort of populate a lot of the the inevitable playoff coverage, some uh, some interviews on Hockey Night in Canada, some features, and certainly on the Thirty Two Thoughts podcast. I think we're going to air some of the Max Domi interview tomorrow, Maddie. I think that may be the plan yeah, I, for I, I think this so. program that you've co opted now. Okay, um, a couple of things from last night, and there were only two games, but both very newsworthy. Um, Connor McDavid, first of all, a uh, pair of goals last night. The Oilers beat the uh, Arizona Coyotes in overtime, the 60th of the season for Connor McDavid. The overtime winner is gorgeous. He's got two breakaways in the OT, Leon Dreisaitl with four assists. One of the McDavid goals, he banks it, um, off the head of the net minor, Connor Ingram. Real nice touch there. Uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins with a couple of goals as well. Edmonton picks up a win against a, an, an Arizona Coyotes team. We've made this point a few different times that aren't getting the memo that the team would like to finish last, please, and maximize their chances to get Connor Bedard, please. I got to hand it to Andre Tournier. I know that he's not going to get any consideration for Jack Adams, but when you look at how this guy has this team playing hard this deep into March, Maddie, Andre Tournier, you got to give it to the players, certainly, but Andre Tournier, the head coach of the Arizona Coyotes, I think you really got to give credit to players leaving. I don't know. The loneliest job the loneliest job in hockey, Matt. The loneliest job in hockey has to be pro scout for the Arizona Coyotes. What are you doing? What are, what are you doing? They're not bringing anybody in. What what, what what's your job? It's true. You're filing it's true. reports and where are they going? Where are they like, pro scout pro, pro scout for the Arizona Coyotes has to be the Maytag repairman job right now around the NHL. So everything around Trunya and his team is all about tear down to get the pick, tear down to get the pick. But this team plays hard, man. This team. And again, last night played really hard against the Edmonton Oilers. And there he is front and center. Once again, I know you like talking about him. Clayton Keller with a pair of goals, that same Clayton Keller we watched last season in that incident with, um, uh, who was it? The San Jose defenseman, Nicholas Malosh, tied up fractured leg and you wondered okay how is he going to be when he comes back this is some of the best hockey we've seen clayton keller play all all career
1: yeah i would say it is the best first of all um the arizona coyotes pro scout job is the biggest make work project in the history of hockey there's no question about that <laughs> um but but as for clayton uh, keller i mean career high in goals he's up to 34 uh, he's only eight points away yeah. from tying the Arizona, not the not the franchise Arizona Winnipeg Jets, but the Arizona Coyotes, Phoenix Coyotes point record, uh, which is held by Keith Kachuk set back in 1997. So he's having a really remarkable year: 78 points, 72 games, 34 goals. Like there is a chance because the way he's been playing lately, with 10 games left, there is a chance that Clayton Keller hits 40, and that would be the quietest 40 goal season i think i've ever seen in my life because when i saw 34 i knew he was having a good year but 34 you look at it and go holy smokes and he was having a really great year last year before he got hurt as well so we're really starting to yeah. see the emergence of let, let's call it a star clayton keller is a star he's 24 years old he'll be 20 25 in july and and listen you talk about a player that is super intriguing this off season. Like I know they're probably not going to deal him because you got to keep some players around, but is Clayton Keller going to yeah. be part of this thing when they finally build up their assets and, and draft these players that they're going to draft and all that stuff. I really wonder about his future in Arizona. I know they like him, but I really wonder about his future. Yeah. In Arizona.
0: So there, there's a couple of things with K- Keller. Like I think, I think this guy's a star. I think he's such a star player, great personality, wonderful player. Um, If he's in another market, we're talking a ton more about Clayton Keller. Um, I remember his draft. So that was the Buffalo draft 2016. Austin Matthews goes first overall. The Rangers had – that was the the draft of, like, a million different rumors. Like, P.K. Subban almost went to Vancouver uh, to become a Canuck, and a whole lot of things got, you know, uh, changed around when – you know, Columbus took Pierre Luc Dubois. That was, you know, one of the uh, M- Montreal had their eyes on drafting Pierre Luc Dubois. He had to fall to Vancouver though at five, and then they would have triggered the deal. Suban for that pick, Suban would have become a member of the Vancouver Canucks, and Montreal would have taken Pierre Luc Dubois. Problem what well, problem is or was Columbus took Pierre Luc Dubois at three. Edmonton ended up taking Jesse Pugliarvi, who was scheduled, we all thought, to go third overall. Edmonton said, wow, this has fallen into our laps. But before that, there was all kinds of rumors around the uh, New York Rangers trying to get that uh, fourth overall pick from the Edmonton Oilers because they wanted Clayton Keller. And the names that, that I heard at the draft that year uh, I mean, it was it was going to be a big deal, so it wasn't just going to be the pick; it was going to be someone else as well. Um, but it was like the the uh, the Oilers would have gotten. I think Ryan McDonough was one of the players. I think Chris Kreider was oh, in uh, was in those conversations as well. Yeah, and it was it was the pick and one more player from Edmonton going to the rangers but the rangers and they didn't have a pick in the first round rangers were desperately trying to get in because they wanted clayton keller bad Mm -hmm. so there's a quick draft story from uh from 2016 revolving uh revolving around clayton keller that that really was a ton of you know the uh the uh the the trades that didn't happen around the draft which you always hear about but those were like two mammoth trades that got scotched uh, both those trades inside the okay. top five. Jeff, Jeff here's um, a
1: book idea. Here's yeah. a book idea. Trades that well, never happened at the draft, you would have a thousand of oh, them. That would be a fantastic
0: book. You know what? it it would be a good one. Uh I'd love to do it. And doing the you know what would be really great about it is doing the homework for it. Talking to all the old general managers going back years and years yep. and years. Um just to get the uh the conversations around a lot of them. Well it's funny I talked to um I talked to Jim Nill while I was in Dallas, So one of the things we talked about is how the Dallas Stars completely screwed the Florida Panthers on two picks, that the Panthers were the Panthers wanted Jake Ottinger, as did the Philadelphia Flyers, and that's why the Dallas Stars traded up with the Chicago Blackhawks. Henry Yokoharju goes the other way. He ended up being the pick they used um, that year, and also Jason Robertson, right? Jason had told us that and I asked Nilla about it. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, they, were, they weren't exactly thrilled with me when we, uh, we took Ottinger ahead of them and then we took uh, Jason Robertson. a One pick, I think it was, ahead of the Florida Panthers. I mean, I love draft stories to begin with. I love all of them. They're great. And uh, I'd love to do the research for a book like that. Um, real quick before we go to break, Pittsburgh Penguins 5, the Colorado Avalanche 2. There's someone that you need to follow on Twitter who's outstanding and he's um, one of the uh, one of the world's leading researchers on the Pittsburgh Penguins he's gathered a Bob Grove Bob Grove 91 is his Twitter handle he's excellent okay um, and so he points out a number of different things about the Pittsburgh Penguins on a daily basis and a couple of them is sort of like really typical of how this Pittsburgh Penguins team has been. Because the Penguins have either been incredible or awful. This is the thing about the Penguins, which is why they're endlessly frustrating for Sullivan, for Hextall, for Burke, Bob Grove. Four of Tristan Jari's last five wins have come on the road, and in those games, his save percentage is 920. What have we talked about? The goaltending's killing him. The goaltending is killing them. There's one more here we go. I find this I find stuff like this fascinating. Bob Grove from last night. By the way, maybe the play of the night last night. I know we all love McDavid bouncing it off Conor Ingram's head and into the net. That was really good. But Sidney Crosby absolutely undressing Samuel Gerrard and then backhanding it in was a thing. Typical of beauty. Crosby. To Typical that. Crosby it's so good so good so to that one bob grove tweets out the nhl has only tracked backhand goals since 2009-10 since then sid now has 61 second only two want to take a guess since 2009-2010 there's only one player who has more backhand goals than sidney crosby
1: i want to say Connor, Connor McDavid hasn't played long enough, so it can't be him. I don't know.
0: No, 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 no. Brad Marchand.
1: Wow. Never would have guessed that.
0: Was six, was 68. That's another guy that when the career's all wrapped up, we're going to look back and go like, how did we not appreciate this guy more? Probably because, you know, just the burning hatred that a lot of people have for him kind of gets in the way of, re- of recognizing just how, uh, just how amazing a, a player he was. Now, Pittsburgh's you want, you want in Dallas stat? tonight. They'll face off a little bit later against the Stars. Yeah, shoot. Go.
1: Okay, so this one from our pal Arda Ocal, um, who loves making appearances okay. on the show when you're not on it. Um, he, I, know, I heard uh, that. Con- so, Connor McDavid, uh, his goal last night was behind, from behind the net was the seventh since a first track shot location in 2016-2017. Take a guess at who he's yep. tied for the most with. We're just talking about him.
0: Sid? Yep. See, I would have said dry
1: Yeah, so would I have, especially clappers from behind the goal line.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's just trying to hurt the goaltender. No, he's actually trying to score. Yeah, um so is seven, what he's doing there. Um, it's uh it's a very hard thing to do. So the penguins four game losing streak is over. Uh, they're back in a wild card spot. Looks like they're going to play flip flop here with the Florida Panthers for a while, who seem to be the only two teams that want to maybe do something about that last wild card spot. Um, but it's just got to be endlessly frustrating. Like, did you think for one second that Pittsburgh was going to walk into that game last night against the defending Stanley Cup champions and in periods two and three specifically, just handle them? Just like okay. slap them around. But that's the thing about the Penguins. They're either incredible or awful. There is no middle ground for the Pittsburgh Penguins, which makes you kind of wonder, can they actually do something if they get into the playoffs? And here's the other question I have. If they get in and they face the Boston Bruins in the opening round, if they play like they played last night, if they play like they played as we've seen them before at times this season, could they actually beat Boston?
1: You want my honest answer?
0: No. You're probably going to say no, but I think it's a lot closer than people think.
1: No, I would say I would say it's a three game sweep. I just I haven't seen the three game sweep. I haven't seen the consistency. I remember PJ from Stocks.
0: Them. I remember. And no, but that's what I'm saying. Like there is no consistency with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Rather awful or incredible. There's no there's no in between. Whenever I hear three game sweep in a, in, a, in a best of seven series, I always think of PJ Stock, who in 2010 at our hockey night in Canada pre playoff show, it was Washington and Montreal in the opening round, and he picked the Capitals in three. And <laughs> then things happened. Whether it was the goaltending, or whether it was Mike Camilleri, or whether it was Kirk Muller designing plays strange things happen in the playoffs. Um okay, 12 games on the go around the NHL a little bit later on this evening. We'll get to some of those in a couple of seconds. Uh, Greg Wojskiński coming up in hour 2 joining me next. He's a uh, now former NHLer, uh turned analyst with the NHL Network who makes his debut tonight. Uh, welcoming to the program here in a couple of moments. Brian Boyle from the NHL Network debuting tonight with Coyle and Rep. Look forward to that. Merrick show continues. Glad to be back. Thanks for uh, for holding the seat and keeping it warm and doing the great work, Maddie and Satshaw as well. Back with Brian Boyle in a couple of moments. Merrick show carries on. Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now.
2: Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans.
1: The Fan Morning Show with Alish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This is the
2: Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
0: Welcome back to the program. Our uh, our next guest here on the program is uh, No Stranger to These Airwaves and is coming to a TV screen near you shortly. As uh, Tonight he makes his debut as an analyst with the NHL Network. Please welcome aboard uh, someone who played 871 regular season games and 124 in the postseason, Brian Boyle. Thanks so much for joining me here today. How are you? Good, Jeff. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. First of all, before we get to... Uh, um, to to the, 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 the new career at hand. Congrats on a really nice career, like that's a that's a lot of NHL games. Uh, I, I uh, we last saw you playing with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, as you look back on things that you achieved in the NHL, maybe expectations you had uh, coming out of coming out of BC. Um, what goes through your mind as you look back on you know the the uh, the time that you had in the NHL?
2: I'm just. I mean, I miss it. <laughs> I miss it now. That's the first thought every day. Um, and but what a ride! What a great time! Uh, last week we were down in Tampa for a. Uh, they unveiled their their uh, Hall of Fame and got to see a bunch of guys that I had played with down there, or in other places I had played with that also had played in Tampa. We had a great group down there. I just all the friendships and all of the. I mean, it's it's a it's a hard. Hard league to stay around in, but it's it's like the most rewarding thing ever. And you know, it's cool that mm-hmm. it's cool that I get to kind of keep talking about hockey because I'm gonna watch it anyways. My son's gonna put it on every day after school and, and and after he comes home from hockey practice or whatever, he's gonna keep it on. He puts it on first thing in the morning. So it's just very uh, wow. thankful and blessed to have the chance to be able to to do that for so long and get to see my uh, my family. You know, benefit from, and now on to the next one. He gets to he gets to play, and I get to watch him.
0: That's uh, that's fantastic. It, it's and you know this, like you know, I'm a I'm a dad of a couple of kids that play hockey too. Those become your favorite games really, really fast. Um, oh, I was, you know, I was exactly I was, what I was sad when it about. ended. Yeah, <laughs> it ended this, his his season For this sure. year
2: ended, and I was like devastated.
0: What am I gonna? What am I gonna do now? You missed a car ride. Yeah. You, missed, you missed the bad coffee, the Zamboni fumes, like the bad popcorn. All of it. You, 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 you know. Right. I per, personally, I, dre- I dread. I'll tell you, Brian. I dread that last drive, the last drive to hockey. Like I know that that day somewhere in the, in the hopefully in the in the distant distant future. As a hockey yeah. dad, I dread that drive.
2: Oh, for sure. I can't. I mean, I can't imagine. <laughs> I, he was crying after they lost out in the playoffs. As a seven-year-old, I'm I'm like, come on, clean it up, buddy. We got to get out of here. Don't let anyone see you cry. But then in the car ride home, I'm like, I'm like, what? What the heck am I going to do now? And uh, you know, he's going <laughs> to play some tournaments this summer. They'll be fun. But yeah, it's uh, it's such a great game. Oh, it wouldn't make me feel that way if it, if, if if we all didn't enjoy it so much
0: amen lead with the heart lead with the heart um let me ask you about um so now you put on the new hat the the broadcaster's hat so let me ask you initially about the last team we saw you play for the pittsburgh penguins and last night was just to be blunt spectacular like that's the pittsburgh yeah. penguins that i think you know ron hextall and brian burke and fenway sports and everybody looks at specifically in periods two and three and say that's the team we know is in here how do we get more of that out of this team like this team is i always talk about bicycle theory as long as you're peddling everything's fine but if you stop peddling you fall off like i think of that when i see the pittsburgh penguins what can you tell us about this pittsburgh penguins group that you think we need to know
2: well, they're too proud they're too determined and they're frankly i think they're 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 too good of hockey players to let what was happening kind of you know continue down that road and i mean i was talking with dave reed i just i said i have a feeling about you know they're they're going to go in there it's going to be a tough environment for them to come out of this little hole that they're in and they're going to figure something out and you saw it you saw it last night um you know i've been rooting for them all year i had it's such a great year with them last year they were so good to me uh all the guys the whole organization and and i i know the character in the room i know the drive that they have, obviously, the, the, the accolades and the accomplishments that top to bottom, you know, even from Sully on down, they speak for themselves, and they, they can't let they can't let it happen that way, and they just won't. So, I mean, they're gonna they're gonna fight to get out of it. That was a great uh, great win for them last night.
0: Uh, it was special. And, you know, the, the Sidney Crosby play, getting, you know, through Sam Girard the way that he did and the backhander, it's, you know, more elite Sidney Crosby. Um, he probably, like when you, when you look at your career, I don't know that there's in, there was anyone in the league that played on his backhand better or more effectively than Sidney Crosby. Uh, we talk about that. We talk about the strength. We talk about the work ethic, all of it with Crosby. Is there something that you noticed with your time in the Penguins that other people might not have because we weren't players and you are?
2: Well, he's gifted, obviously. He's 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 gifted, but, man, it's, it's no secret. He works. He works. He works. He works. He shoots. He works on his backhand. He he works on his, I mean, the last game of the year. I think we played Columbus last year before the playoffs. He played like 15 or 16 minutes, which is like I would be I would be trying to get practice off the next day if I did that. And he is on the bike for like 30 minutes with the expectation of his workload and what it was going to be like in the playoffs, preparing for it. The man just he he just works. It's yeah. no secret. Tell the kids work the hardest. Every single day, and and you know he's he's smart. He cares. He's you know a third of the league still thinks he's the best all-around player. I thought that that was no surprise yep. that he got uh, best all-around player from the from the players. Like the guy does everything, and every year he tries to get better and find a new way to be effective. He realizes, you know, again how hard that league get, uh, is every year. It gets better every year, mm-hmm. and he gets better right along with it. It's incredible.
0: He really does. You know, you, um, you rode shotgun for a, a couple of really young players in Toronto that have really blossomed. When you see Austin Matthews now, when you see Nylander now, when you see Marner now, what goes through your mind knowing that you were right there on this very young Maple Leafs team and, like, from the root to the fruit, right? Like, take us back to when, you know, you were with the Toronto Maple Leafs and these were, you know, kids that were just getting started. Well, I mean,
2: I laughed then, and I laugh now when I was told to go down the bench and tell any one of those guys what the right play was on any certain play. And you know, the coach said, "Hey, go tell him he's supposed to do this and that." And I looked at the coach and said, "Hey, like, there's nothing I can tell these guys. I've never in my life been as good as they are right now. What am I supposed to go down and tell them? These guys were—they, I wanted to be, but it's—you know wasn't in the cards. They—they they were so—they had so much fun at the rink. You could tell what was going to happen and what they did on the ice as such young players, that, uh, the confidence that they had to do it. And and they work at it, too. I mean, they're under a microscope there in Toronto, obviously. And even a kid like me under who, who probably gets, I don't know, or has gotten a little bit less. It's been, you know, obviously Martin and Matthews, and then it's Willie. But, geez, what a player he is. He can change the game in one shift. And they they've stuck mm-hmm. together and they've gotten better every year and I think they've learned again how hard it is and then you know when the weather gets a little bit nicer it really really gets hard and they just they they've learned some hard lessons which I think you have to do if you remember them and take something mm-hmm. from them they can be a dangerous squad and obviously I mean there's five teams that can probably come out of the come out of the East right legitimately you could say like yep. you wouldn't no one would be surprised. And then the, the other teams, whoever gets in, you're never surprised there's always an upset, but uh they've they've put themselves in a really good position they, they're in a great division, so I think that battle tests you for the playoffs. Those three are going to have to lead the way
0: you know the um I, I think we're all curious about the Eastern Conference. Uh, I know that the Boston Bruins are channeling their inner nineteen seventy seven Montreal Canadians and just having you know just ripping through you know, the regular season like a buzzsaw, but uh, uh, we saw a lot of teams load, like pretty much everybody loaded up in the East. We've never seen anything like this uh, in and around trade deadline time. Who intrigued you the most? You know, whether it was, you know, Tampa or New Jersey, teams that, like, loaded up, even Boston did, and, you know, brought in, you know, Dmitry Orlov and Garnet Hathaway, like other other is there one team out there brian that you looked at and said that's the team that most impressed me at deadline this is the team that's over the top maybe even the maple leafs they loaded up too even though all the players they got are injured but
2: <laughs> i mean that that happens even even Pitt. i mean pit got some guys and they all got hurt too it's, it's just that's a tough yep that's a tough one to swallow because you got to integrate and come back in and understand your roles when you get traded it's a hard thing to do to get traded i mean boston got another top i get for sure a top three defensemen. I'd call them a the top two in Orlov. Hathaway adds an element that, yeah. like, in a playoff game, you're on the other side. You're just like, oh, you're shaking your head. You know what's coming. But I think with, with what yeah. Boston has, I mean, they've given up, I think, it's like 150 goals in 70 games. Like, that's insane. The, the arms race that, that happened in the East was incredible to watch. They had, they had so many trades happen, and it was, like, weeks in advance because I think the GMs knew what was coming. And it was really yep. a lot of good teams. I mean, they're all they're all in one conference, but they all were showing potential to do some great things in the springtime. Um, you know, Jersey got the big fish. Um, yeah. That would be interesting to me. I do I mean, I love Jersey. I love Tommy Fitz. I like. I enjoyed my time there, but they something about not being in the playoffs for a while. It is a different game. Um, like, for example, like with a team like Toronto, they've learned some lessons and, and Jersey maybe hasn't quite done that yet. So we'll see what all happens. But no doubt round one is going to be, as it usually is, uh, a pretty exciting couple of weeks uh, in the NHL in terms of fan watching and uh, getting able to w- witness all that. Hopefully they stagger the games a little bit so you, uh, you can see as, as much of it as
0: possible. <laughs> We all have the same pet peeves, eh, Brian? About staggering games yeah. and like I'm um, the same. Everyone, like, everyone's in intermission. Six first. games that start at seven o'clock. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Wonderful. Um, you mentioned the Devils there, and yeah, they pick up Timo Meyer and. Uh, I I think a lot of what New Jersey's season has been all about is, you know, just to make sure everybody can experience what a full season feels like and then get some playing time in, in the, uh, in, in the playoffs. If you can do some damage, that's great. But I think the experience for Heischer, for brat for Hughes is going to be, you know, really valuable for all these guys, not just for this season, but for next season. I'm curious, your thoughts on Jack Hughes. Now, Conor McDavid's going to win the Hart Trophy, going away. Like he's just blowing everybody else out of the water. But in any other season where Conor McDavid isn't doing this, could you make a case for Jack Hughes and the Hart Trophy, given what he's been able to do for New Jersey this year?
2: Yeah, I think it's just he, he's, he's gotten better every year. He's not the biggest guy, and he's fought through injury. Be able to come back from that injury, I think, would be effective shows. Yep. I mean, me as a former player, I know how hard that is. He can come back and and what's expected of him every night is you need to make a huge difference on the scoreboard to help us win this game. That's I mean, I've never had to deal with that kind of pressure and he thrives under it. He's he's so young. They have I think they have a really good mix up front. He definitely could though. He he he's he's another one of those guys that can change a game like a one on three and a zone entry where it looks like nothing's happening and he can make a play that brings people out of their seats. And it's like, Oh, well, what just happened? We just gave up a goal. Cause this guy just went right through us all. Like he, he can do so many things, makes his line mates better. Cause yeah. he can make some plays with, with the puck and find them. It's, it's incredible, but there's a number of guys that are having like crazy years that you see. Um, I know Ryan Whitney was talking about like that, uh, Matthew Kachuk too. He's, He's done some crazy things and watch out cuz Florida's coming. Like look what he's doing. He's dragging him in. He's he's a pain to play against, but he's putting up yep. he's putting up numbers like crazy. So I mean there's there's a number of guys that are having these wild awesome seasons that but it's like Connor just put in 60 and there's there's 10 games left or 12 games left whatever it is. We got to talk
0: about that. I know. I think your point about Kachuk's a great one too. You know, I was just talking before you came on about the 2016 draft uh, in Buffalo. Austin Matthews goes first overall. Uh, Matthew Kachuk's the second best player in that draft. I know we're going to hear it from a lot of the uh, a lot of the Boston Bruins, you know, uh, fans that'll talk about Charlie McAvoy. And I do love McAvoy, but Matthew Kachuk's number two in that draft, and he went sixth to the Calgary Mm -hmm. Flames. Like it's 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 what he's been able to do is. Real impressive, and that is a guy that looks like he's built, and is, you're right, trying to drag the Florida Panthers into the playoffs here. Um, listen, I know tonight's a big one for you. Wish you all the luck. You're in great hands with Coyle and Ruper. Um Should be a fun time. All the best to the crew at NHL Network, and we will talk soon. And congratulations on the old career, and best of luck with the new one, Brian. Thanks
2: a lot, Jeff. Appreciate you having me.
0: There he is, Brian Boyle, uh, from NHL Network. Uh, analyst makes his debut tonight. Jameson Coyle and Mike Rupp riding shotgun with him. Former NHL, man played all over, right? Rangers, Devils, Preds, Panthers, Tampa, Toronto, Pittsburgh Penguins last season. Almost 900 games in the regular season, 120 plus in the postseason as well. And you talk about players that got everything out of their talent and maximized everything in their career. That guy worked hard, man. That guy worked hard on his skating from day one to keep himself in the league. A lot of time for Brian Boyle. Uh, Greg Wyshynski coming up in a couple of moments here at MVSW Time. Once again, Merrick show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptors Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
0: Welcome back to the program. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, nice to be back in the chair here. Uh, thanks to Greg Wachinski from ESPN for stopping by the program. Brian Boyle earlier makes his NHL network debut this evening. as He transitions careers. Uh, turn our attention now to the, uh, the Winnipeg Jets kicking off a California road swing with a game against the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, one of twelve games on the board this evening. The great Ken Weeb joins me now from Sportsnet. Kenny, how are you? Uh, good
3: morning, Jeff. I'm doing uh, fantastically well. Yeah, we got a couple of pucks banging in the background with the duck scratches, but uh, yeah, all all is well. And before we get going on the Jets, I could not agree with you more with your uh, uh, best on best take. If if Russia can't get it figured out, don't wait for the don't wait and don't uh, don't, don't wait for don't them wait. to get it figured out. Get the tournament on. If if it's good enough for McDavid, it there, should be yeah. good enough for the rest of us.
0: Yeah, what, what did you? mean we we so seldom hear you know star players in the NHL speaking on you know big issues that impact the game. Um, yeah. But you can tell like this is a big one. We know for McDavid, it's a big one for McKinnon, it's a big one for Crosby, it's a big one for Matthews, big one Eichel. like all the all the main dogs uh, in this tournament. What did you make specifically though of Connor McDavid? Sort of going into territory that we don't necessarily hear a lot of star players talk about, i.e. telling the NHL to, to get it together because, you know, baseball just had a beauty. Why can't we have one too?
3: I uh, couldn't love it more, especially from Connor, to be quite frank, because quite frankly, Connor is mostly vanilla when it comes to interviews. He's been better this year. I know from talking with Mark Spector, our colleague that he's been a little bit more open, but, Uh, Connor's generally been someone who doesn't want to rock the boat so I love the fact that he went out and pointed to specific examples of Shohei Otani versus Mike Trout Uh, especially two guys that have not had any playoff success and are considered among the best in their game in in terms of those two Anaheim or Los Angeles Angels or whatever else they're calling themselves right now Uh, I mean we're of the certain vintage where the Canada Cup in 87 still means a lot to us Jeff and I honestly, quite frankly, feel badly (laughs) that this generation of athletes or future hockey players don't have a signature moment like that or they haven't had one since Sydney's Golden Goal in 2010. So I know there was a World Cup that generated Mm. lots of interest with Team North America, but we as a a hockey property need a best-on-best tournament, and you want to see... Landis God going up against McKinnon. You want to see Matthews and McDavid going head-to-head. And you want to see Crosby and Barshan and maybe even Bergeron. And, you know, it's going to be tougher now for Patrice because the tournament's not going to happen you know, next year or maybe even the year after. But uh, this is an issue that I hope the NHL is listening to people like McDavid because we know he's not the only one who wants this. And I think that if they're looking for a way to grow the fan base, that I, I have a hard time thinking of a better one than that and I know there's injury concerns and Mets fans all over the place including Wish will be sour that Edwin Diaz is done for the year in a silly celebration but that can happen just as easily in a spring training game as it does in a best-on-best tournament.
0: You're right and you know I think your point about creating those moments um, is a big one as well like my big moment like I was too young for 72 um, but my big moment was watching Daryl Sittler score on Vladimir Zorilla in the Team Canada versus Czechoslovakia game. Um, that, w- that was a huge one. Uh, many will point at, you know, Gretzky to Lemieux in 1987, the golden goal by Sidney Crosby. And that's just from a Canadian perspective, too. Like, we look at iconic, you know, uh, moments that helped drive the game, you know, Miracle on Ice in 1980. How many players, you know, United States hockey players specifically picked up sticks after that? Like, these, these are the moments, these are the events that help move the game forward at a whole bunch of different levels. Uh, from an interest level, from an, uh, an iconography level as well, and from a kids picking up sticks level, too. I, I, think it's like, I think we all know how much of a home run it is. I think we're all on the same page, that we all know that it's important. They it just can't seem to get the car out of the driveway here, Ken. And it's not as if this is new. This has been a long, long time now, Kenny.
3: No not and I mean for me, we were just in, in on on the island, seeing the Islanders. I get a huge smile when I see Ken Morrow. It makes me happy. You know, I was five years old in 1980, yeah. but I remember distinctly watching this at my grandma Dirksen's house. So when I see those Islanders teams, and I see Ken Morrow, I know for some people it's Jim Craig, and I get that. But for me, I, maybe it's because Ken sure. Morrow's hockey card is one that I remember getting at a young age. But those are moments that you, you can't put a financial value on what that can do in terms of growth in the sport. And our other colleague on the baseball side, Shai Dabiti, captured this perfectly in his column yesterday on Sportsnet.ca too. It's not just for the big countries. This means a, a heck of a lot to places like Great Britain and, and some of those teams that don't have people for example, in the major leagues. So for me, it's not just the, about the local level and for us being greedy in North America. It's about throwing the game globally, and I think that that's something that's maybe been a little bit lost in the shuffle here. And we know there's been lots of issues and COVID and all kinds of things to sort through, but the sooner we get back to bust sure. on gust, the better it will be uh, for all parties involved, including the, the league itself in terms of its growth, but also the fans are the ones who are, are missing out the most uh, when it comes yeah. to this this process
0: amen all right let's get to uh let's get to the jets here so it's a team that's you know sort of middling along we're waiting for this team to to grab the reins and really you know cement a a spot here in the playoffs um you know five four and one in their last ten games. what are fans doing with the jets right now as we speak
3: yeah. Uh, they're clutching pearls and feeling lots of angst. <laughs> have six, six six wins in their last yeah. 18 games. Here, it has been a stressful time for the folks uh, all over Manitoba and those who follow the Jets uh, all around the world too. Uh, it's been incredibly bizarre, and I know you saw the the articles coming out of Winnipeg yesterday, when a head coach is yep. openly questioning the motivation of its players who checks notes uh. is currently in a playoff spot and not in 10th place chasing. That's a problem. So for me, how the Jets respond to this next stretch is going to be fascinating to me. Jeff, I wrote about this at the time last week when Rick Bonus made the gutsy decision to sit down Mark Scheifele, Kyle Connor, and Nino Niederreiter for 11 minutes and 45 seconds. That how those guys respond is going to determine how the Jets season ends. Since that, it's hard to include Niederreiter in that because a he wasn't really at fault, and b he's been here for five minutes. But the Jets need more from Shifley and Connor, among others, because there's only been, I think, uh, two points between the three of them since, a goal by Niederreiter and an assist for Shifley. And that's an issue for a team that is really struggling to score goals right now. And uh, Rick Bonus wasn't pointing fingers, but it's not hard to connect the dots here when it comes to long-term core pieces that aren't playing very well right now. And those guys really need – it's a chance not only to define their season, but – and in a case like Scheifele, it could determine his legacy, quite frankly.
0: Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm curious if you feel that this is this group's last shot at it. Now, there are players that still have, you know, one more year of term, and we think of Scheifele and we think of Blake Wheeler. Um, you know, we, I think we all know where eventually Pierre Luc Dubois is going to end up, but for this group. Do you think this season is the last shot at it? And then next year, it's tough decision time with Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler.
3: Yeah, bang on, Jeffy. I think this is a, I've been saying it lately, this has a last dance feel without the six banners hanging from the rooftop at the United Center. So I do agree completely that, it does have that feel that you know no matter what happens down the stretch, that a good chunk of the core group is going to move on. and uh, that's that that to me is what makes the lack of motivation or urgency all the more troubling because this group is is in a position where they could do some damage. They' had twenty wins, nine losses, and one tie or one extra time loss in the first thirty games, and since that time they've been a sub five hundred team. Uh, they just haven't had the same level of commitment that is re- required, especially in terms of their defensive structure. They have one of the best goalies on the planet, and in some ways, they're wasting his prime. He's going to start his 56th game tonight, Jeff. And you know, it was vintage. It, it took a vintage Hellebuck effort just to get past the Arizona Coyotes, and we know they're playing a lot better lately. The, not, not to take nothing away from them, but right now, it's just a strange time for the Jets. And no, I, I do think the Jets. Either they have to extend at least one or two of those players, or they're going to be moving on, and and that that's going to be interesting too. Because I don't, I've said this quite vehemently, Jeff. I don't see the Jets going into rebuilding mode. If you look at where they are in the Central Division, Arizona and Chicago, they are openly rebuilding, and dare we say the word that you know, Gary Bettman says things don't happen, but teams that were o- o- openly mm. tanking essentially. So. If there's two teams out of the eight that are in that situation and then you have the St. Louis Blues, they're going to definitely be retooling on the fly. Why would you start the rebuilding process a year or two behind those other teams that are already in that mode? I just don't see it happening. I understand that there's going to be changes and depending on what they can get in trades, if trades are ultimately what they're going to need to do, if they can't get extensions with guys like Shifley or Hellebuck. But the team's going to look dram- dramatically different. And what that looks like wow. is gonna be fascinating to watch because we saw it with the Truba deal. Yes, the return was steady, but you know, right now the Jets really missed Jacob Truba and their ability to generate a big return was impacted by where Truba would be willing to sign long term, even though that wasn't all that out in the open at the time. Truba wanted to be in New York, mm-hmm. he got what he wanted and he got paid. So it's gonna be interesting. Like there's a lot of pressure on on Kevin Shuttle Dayoff going into the offseason. We expected, we were talking about last year, Jeff, in the summer. We thought those changes were going to come last year already, and now we know the Jets essentially may not have a choice. For a while, through the first half of the year, we thought maybe there was a chance they might try to run it back for one more run. But given how they dipped down the stretch, it's hard to imagine anything other than, I don't want to use the term wholesale changes, because they still have core pieces like Josh Morrissey, Kyle Connor, and Nikolai Ehlers. That will still
0: be around after this year but they've got some tough choices on the horizon for sure there's some biggies uh, we've made the point either here or on the podcast that kevin shovel has a really difficult job as general manager of this team um i think elliot's actually gone as far as to say that he has the most difficult job of any manager uh in the nhl because we all understand the nature of no move clauses and who's on no trade lists um, and Winnipeg has a, faces an extra challenge that way um, that a team like Tampa, for example, doesn't face. Um, but even given that, is there a sense in Winnipeg that, or an expectation that Kevin Shevelday off was and probably should have done more at trade deadline? Like we, we chased, I mean, I spent a, a lot of part of that day trying to find out where Logan Stanley, for example, uh, was going. And he ended up going nowhere. Um, but is there a feeling that Jets fans wanted more because the Winnipeg Jets, quite bluntly, needed more?
3: Yeah, it's a good assessment, and I would put it this way. Kevin Shimbledayoff did a good job of hitting a couple of at least doubles uh, in terms of bringing in Nino you know, Niederreiter, who has one more year of term left, and bringing in Vladimir Nesnikov, yeah. who is attending UFA, but has history with Rick Bonus, And quite frankly, when Purely Dubois was and out of the lineup for eight of those nine games, he looked great in his second-line center role. So to me, Domestop would be a guy that they might pursue, and they pursued him before. So those two were really smart pickups and not guys that generated big-time buzz or headlines. But the issue for the Jets is that they needed one of those under-the-radar pickups on the back end. Now, would they have loved to have gotten Jacob Chikrin? Of course. But we you know there's a a family connection to Ottawa and and maybe the price tag is too high. Mm-hmm. I think what we've been hearing is that Arizona was asking for Rutter for majority and, and that just wasn't going to work for the Jets because he's a different style or type of player to what they have in the organization so prominently in terms of the, yeah. you know, skilled player, maybe occasionally perimeter player. This is a bigger, stronger guy who could have a power forward role based on the years out at the university of Michigan. So that's the issue, but, The other problem for the Jets, as you touched on, Jeff, is that they had guys like Logan Stanley. They have guys like Billy Haneler. They have someone like Declan Chisholm with the Moose. Now, unfortunately for Chisholm, sounds like he's got a high ankle sprain and might miss the rest of the regular season and then some. But they've got a bunch of guys they need to make room for, which to me kind of only raised the importance of moving one of those veteran guys that's going to have to move on in the summer anyway. So... It's just the the Jets have a lot of good good players on the back end. It's just the mix hasn't really added up. See, like, it's, The sum is, is not greater than the, the total of its parts right now. And uh, I mean, we have talked about it. You know, Pionk's had a tough season, and, and the Jets need him to be yeah. their second best defenseman for them to have success. And maybe they were banking on a little bit more from Pionk. And I, I still contend this, and even though. Neil has said it himself. He said he's not injured. You can't watch the way Neil Pionk is skating and feel like he does not have a physical ailment that is hindering his level of play based on what we have seen over the years. So, I'm expecting there to be some kind of announcement and the season is over, whenever that is, that Pionk's going to probably need surgery, whether it's sports hernia or hip or whatever else. You can just tell by the way that he skates right now. He's just not able to move that way, yet he's still playing 20 to 23 minutes a night. So I think they could have helped themselves by bolstering the back end. But now at the same time, now that I say that, that means Brandon Sandberg is not playing. He's a guy that has shown really well this year. He doesn't have a lot of raw numbers, but his underlying numbers have been excellent. Yeah. And he's a guy that has shown to have that level of you know physical nature that the Jets don't have an abundance of on the back end outside of Brandon Gillen. So uh, they just kind of got stuck in between, it feels like. I mean, we talk about half measures in our market a lot and, though you have to give some credit for what he did up front, I think the fact that he didn't uh, improve or change the mix on the back end ultimately could be a big factor. And I understand the other side of the argument, that the Jets played so poorly down the stretch that they, they, they showed they weren't worth a bigger investment. But to me, when you look at the urgency of the situation with their contracts, I don't know when it would have been a better time to go for it and I know Maddie was talking about the Avalanche earlier this week, and you've been talking about it as well. This is a team that somehow is flying under the radar somewhat. I get it. They're the defending champs, and they're looking like a champion again. But the West is still yep. pretty open. It's not wide open because there's a lot of really good teams, but there's not a dominant team that you say you would be scared of if you had to face them. You would absolutely respect them, but you're not going in there. It's not a Daryl mm-hmm. Sutter situation where you're saying, you know, It's going to be a waste of 10 days, and it's an automatic sweep here, even if a team finishes an eighth in the West. Yeah. So to me, that was a strange development, and ultimately we'll see if that ends up costing the Jets. But ultimately, it's easy for me to say that. My hands aren't on the wheel, and there's no consequences for me to suggest that. But uh, I do think they, they should have added a defense. <laughs> I, I mean, so that's part of our job, I, right, uh, Jeff? I, we get I, to speculate all the time. Well, there's no consequences for us.
0: That's it, right? I'm, I'm a really good general manager talking in the back seat. Uh, I'm nowhere close to the wheel. Um, Kenny, enjoy it tonight. It's uh, three games and five nights. The California trip for the Winnipeg Jets tonight against the Ducks and then Los Angeles and San Jose before they get back to Winnipeg to face off against the Detroit Red Wings. Thanks as always, Kenny. My pleasure. Thanks for
3: having me and uh, enjoy the rest of the week here, my friend. Take
0: care. Great, great stuff from Ken Weeb at uh, sportsnet.ca. He covers the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, really profoundly uh, for this organization. Thanks to Greg Wachinski for stopping by. Thanks to Ken Weep for uh, stopping by. Brian Boyle makes his NHL Network debut tonight. Wish him all the best. Former NHL forward, now analyst. Uh, once again, thanks to everybody uh, for the past few days. Sacha, Matt Marchese, Lance Kennedy, Jen Rolnick. Merrick show continues tomorrow, noon Eastern, across the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. 12 games tonight. Park it. Enjoy it. NHL Action. It's the best.